you would go ahead and stand with me this morning, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Let's thank the worship team for leading us into the presence of God this morning. We love you guys. Luke chapter 24. We're talking through um, a two-week series on where do we go from here? Um, what the disciples probably thought after Jesus died and rose again. Where in the world do we go from here? We're going to be talking about proof of the resurrection. Amen. Proof of the resurrection, Luke chapter 24. Hey, um, real quick, if you are one of our discipleship leaders through e-groups or Sunday school, any one of those things, will you just wave at me real quick? Just wave at me. There's hands going up all around the room. I want us to celebrate and just pay honor to them. Um, every week they put in hours upon hours serving and leading um, to help lead us in growing spiritually. Um, I'm so thankful for our, our services and how we can gather together, but if you really want to experience life change, that happens in the context of biblical life-giving community, which these guys lead for us throughout our church, and we're just so indebted and grateful, and so once again, let's celebrate them and thank them this morning. Luke 24, verse 5, I love this passage. The angel looks at the ladies and says, why do you seek the living among the dead? We're going to continue talking about Easter. Easter isn't just for one Sunday, amen? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. How many of y'all have children that have remembrance problems? You tell them something, they soon forget. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day would rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. There was twelve, but one died, Judas, and, uh, and now the rest of the disciples that were there. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women who went with them and told the apostles. But watch this. But these words seemed to them, the disciples, an idle tell, and they did not believe them. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that your word would convict us and it would compel us today. It would help bring transformation to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been in the course of going to do something or expecting something, and what you find is totally different than what you expected, right? That could be either really, really good, like it can exceed our expectations, but it can be really, really bad too, right? Like the expectation level was here, and it can either be really good or really, really bad. Last summer, um, I was telling somebody before the service, when my parents got COVID, we all of our family, we left and we said, we're going to the mountains, like we're getting out of here, right? And so we went camping. We didn't go RV camping. We went tent camping on the side of the mountain. And, 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 and as we were there, we decided to do some hikes that day. We'd go to waterfalls, springs, and to some of the overlooks there in the, in the mountains. And turn, some of them turned out to be really, really great. But there was one hike, right, that we decided to go to a, a spring, and being from Florida, we're thinking like Blue Lagoon 
kind of spring, right? I grew up going to like Itchituckney and, and um, uh, Silver Springs, the glass bottom boats, and my favorite all like Disney Springs, there's restaurants and coffee, those kinds of springs, those are the best. But I was thinking this was gonna be like a really cool mountain spring, and so we hiked a pretty good ways to this spring, and we get to the signs designating where the spring is, and all we see is this little puddle, like a little bubbly bubbly coming up. And we all pretty much at the same time were like, this is it? This is not what we were expecting. All of my, 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 my son that was there and the other nieces and nephews are like, really, this is it? This is what we hiked to? And we get a little puddle with a bubbly bubbly? This is not what we were expecting. How many of you have ever had things happen like that in life where you're expecting something and it doesn't turn out the way you were planning or thinking? Maybe it was going to a place to eat or to, to visit and you get there and you're like, this is it, this is not what I was expecting. Or maybe you started dating somebody and you get there. Or maybe you even get married to that somebody. And you, get, and you get into that relationship and you get there and you say, this is it? <laughs> this was not what I was expecting. This is not what I signed up for. Now, just for the record, I've never said that, baby, right? I have never, ever said that. We've all had our paths or journeys lead us into some unexpected places. Take sharp turns, plot twists, right? And that's what happens with these women going to the tomb of Jesus. In the opening verses of this chapter, we see Mary and Mary and Joanna go to the tomb carrying spices to go and anoint the dead body of Christ. They were expecting to go and continue mourning the death of Jesus, this great prophet. But what they were not expecting was what they were about to encounter, right? Jesus had already done told them several times that he was gonna arise, but they were expecting an occupied tomb. And when they arrived to the scene, they encountered something totally different. I love what the angels ask them, like, what you doing here? What you doing? Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here, he has risen, right? You don't go to the graveyard to find somebody that is alive. We have a word for that in the English language. It's called weird, right? We don't celebrate Dia de la Muerte, right? We, we're not looking for Coco and his guitar in the graveyard. We're, we're, we're expecting that when we go to the graveyard, there's to be dead people there. But these women, they go to the graveyard and they find an empty tomb. They find an empty tomb. It was not what they were expecting. They were expecting one thing, but God was doing a complete different thing. And watch. These women, it blows their mind. They return in excitement and amazement to tell the other disciples, but the disciples don't share their same joy. They said, it seems as if it's an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And I think this is where we find ourselves far too often in our culture, skeptical, especially towards the promises of God's word. Our society has helped condition us towards a mentality of skepticism, right? Some in society, they don't believe, so they're skeptical. Some, they disagree with the truth of God's word, so they're skeptical. Some, 
they have ulterior motives and they desire to subvert the truth of God's word. So they're both hostile and skeptical to the promises of God's word. We live in a very skeptical society and people often don't know what truth is. How many of you have, in the last year, you've heard somebody say, I just don't know what to believe, right? We've heard so many people say that in regards to the news, the media, the politics, and to every different facet of society. We just don't know what to believe. And if we don't know what to believe, we become skeptical in nature. It's a sad state, but this is the reality of the culture that we live in. In college, I had to take several courses in auditing as part of my major. And one of the things that we were trained to have was a healthy dose of skepticism. I had one former boss tell me when I was working in public accounting, he said, Jordan, I trust you, but I'm just gonna verify. Basically meaning, Jordan, I don't trust you. <laughs> right, Jordan, I don't, I don't trust you. I gotta verify with my own eyes. And we often can be like this with God. God, I trust you, I just need to verify. We treat God like the new kid on the job. God, I just wanna see it with my own eyes. God, I just don't wanna hear about it. I just don't wanna read about what you did in the scripture. I just don't wanna hear about what you did for other people. I need to experience it in my life because we are skeptical. And this is where the disciples were with the resurrection and probably some of us today here as well if we're honest. See, the story of the resurrection is great, but if it does not completely overhaul what we believe, it will not transform how we live. The story of the resurrection is great, but if it does not overhaul all of our belief system, everything that we hold near and dear, like we hold these truths near and dear to our hearts, right? If we don't have an overhaul of our belief system, it will not transform the way we live our lives. We often, like the disciples, think that's a good tale, but, but, listen, skepticism and faith cannot coexist in our relationship with God. Skepticism is dissonance to the gospel. It will leave us empty and confused. And Jesus doesn't want us left that way. In fact, post-resurrection, he made sure he didn't leave his disciples that way. He appeared multiple times to the disciples to quiet their doubts and to calm their fears. And I believe today that he'll do the same thing for us, that he will appear to bring assurance. He'll appear to bring confidence. He'll appear to give us that, that strength that we need. I love what Paul says. He says, I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced. You know what the difference is here? Most people, they're believing in a what? But Paul, he was believing in a who. He said, I know in whom I have believed. We don't serve, we don't believe a certain thought process. We don't believe in a certain worldview. We don't believe in a certain religion. We don't believe in a certain philosophy. We believe in Jesus, the name that is above every name. And at that name, every knee must bow. Every tongue must confess that he is Lord. See, this Jesus, when he becomes to come into our lives, he shifts and changes everything. He wants you fully persuaded. He wants you fully convinced and expectant. Expectant. John 20, 30 said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. It didn't say that you may believe that he is a good person, that you may believe that he has some great powers. No, it says that you may believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. He is your Savior. He is your healer. He is your Redeemer. These things are written so you know who he is. God's desire is that we believe in, by believing we have life in his name. So let's watch what Jesus does in Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus as he confronts two disciples and their disbelief. And I guarantee you, it's a pattern for how he will encounter us in our situations. Luke chapter 24, for the sake of time, I'm gonna walk through it with us as I, as I preach. Um, it says that very day, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. How far? How far? Seven miles. It's about like walking around Disney World all day. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Who drew near? Jesus drew near. So here it is. You've got these two disciples they're walking from Jerusalem to a village named Emmaus. And Jesus, first miracle, he walks with them. Emmaus is seven miles from Jerusalem, right? This is a miracle in and of itself. This is basically him walking through a mountainous desert in the Judean countryside. It's not walking around flat ground in Florida, but walking through seven miles of mountainous desert in the Judean countryside. And if we remember correctly, just a few days earlier, what happened to Jesus? He was tortured to death and killed. He was tortured to death at the hand of the Romans. And Jesus, he's going for a stroll for a seven mile walk through the Judean countryside. Can you imagine? We, we can't even stub our toe or twist our ankle and walk to the refrigerator and back, right? But Jesus, he was whipped, he was beaten, had his beard plucked out, had a crown of thorns put on his head, and then three days later, he's alive, he's risen, and he's going for a seven-mile walk through the Judean mountainous desert countryside. Something miraculous had happened. And while they're walking, they're talking about everything that has unfolded over the past few days. And Jesus shows up. God sometimes just shows up out of nowhere, right? He'll just show up into our circumstances. He can be uninvited to the party, but still show up. And if you're going to some parties where he wouldn't be welcome, I pray that he shows up in those parties. Maybe like, well, maybe he should turn that water into wine. No, maybe he should cast that demon out of you in the name of Jesus. Post-crucifixion, disciples had locked themselves in for fear of the Jews. And what did Jesus do when they were locked in? He walked through the closed doors, the bricked up walls. Listen, you can shut yourself in on your pity party. And Jesus, he will walk right through. It doesn't matter how much you've closed yourself in. He can walk right into the room, right into the situation, begin to change the course of the narrative and the dialogue, whatever it may look like. He can walk right into it, even being uninvited. I'm thankful for a God who shows up into situations and he doesn't leave them the way they were. And this is what Jesus does here on the road to Emmaus. As we read further along in the passage, we understand that these two disciples, they're conflicted. They're conflicted with everything that has taken place. See, the disciples, they had a lot of questions. 
and uncertainties. And they were even more perplexed because of the report that they had heard from Mary, Mary, and Joanna earlier that morning. I'm thankful that Jesus still shows up in the midst of our questions, our doubts, our confusion. When we don't get it, he does, and he will still show up. I'm thankful for a God who is not repulsed by my questions. I'm thankful for a God that is not repulsed by my doubt, but when I'm trusting and surrender and I don't get it, he will still draw nigh to me, for he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is El Shaddai, the God who is most high, and he will leave heaven to come and to make himself known. The scripture says that they would tabernacle, that God, and, and one of the feasts, they would literally celebrate tabernacling. That would be where God would come and make himself a them and dwell with him and that's what the point of Jesus was he came into the human flesh and he made himself that so he could come near to us in the midst of our doubts our uncertainties and our questions watch what happens next and if Hayden if you'll come on up if you saw them doing rock paper scissors on the front row during worship I said hey I've got something for you illustration y'all figure out who's coming up and so they did watch what happens next verse 16 it says but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? I've got a mask. I didn't have a blindfold, but thank God masks are good for blindfolds in 2021. So go ahead and put that on your eyes for me this morning. Now let's go ahead and turn it the other way. I think we got some pretty lemons on the outside. There we go. We're gonna put the lemons on the outside and put that on for me because sometimes when life gives you lemons, what do you make? There we go. So Jesus, what does Jesus do? He keeps them from recognizing him. I don't need you looking at me, brother. Look at the, there we go. Look at the audience. I know you can't see them. Jesus, he keeps them from recognizing him. Now to us, this seems counterproductive because if I could just see you, Jesus, I would trust you, right? That's how it operates far too often. If I could just see you, if I could behold you, that's how we would know that he is near us, but his ways are not our ways, and Jesus conceals his deity. Now, Aiden, you can talk to me a little bit. Even though you can't see me, am I here? So you trust that I'm here. So even despite of your inability of being able to see me, you still believe that I'm here present with you this morning. How do you know that? You can hear me, right? Maybe you can hear the word that I'm speaking, that even though you cannot see me with your eyes physically, I am still here. All right, y'all give Hayden a hand real quick. He can still hear me and still see me when I'm not, when, when, he can still hear me even though he can't see me. See, Jesus comes into his situation and conceals his deity. Church, even when he's hidden, he's present. Even when we can't, See him just because we can't see him doesn't mean he is not present. You know how often God conceals himself in the midst of our circumstances, but is still very, very present. Psalms 46 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help 
in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains, they tremble at its swelling. You know what this means, church? When all hell is breaking loose, he is present. And the scripture says he's not just present, he is very present. That it's not dependent upon what I see, it's not dependent upon what I feel, it's not dependent on how good my eyesight might be, that his word says when all hell is breaking loose around us, when mountains are falling, when doctor's reports are coming in, when family situations and circumstances are beginning to rattle, the scripture says he is a very present help in time of trouble. Even when I don't see him, he still is present. In verse 17, Jesus asked him, what is this that you are talking about? What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Jesus recognizes that their hearts were broken. Their hopes, their dreams, they appeared to be dashed. And I believe that Jesus kept them from recognizing him. It says he concealed, right? He kept them from recognizing him. Why? Because I believe that Jesus wanted them to pour out their hearts to him. I believe that Jesus wanted them to pour their hearts out, to open up. You know what this tells me, church? He wants to bear our burdens. He says, come to me all who are heavy or weary and heavy laden. He says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for us. He wants us to be able to come and engage him and to share our heart, to share the heaviness, to share those things that are in our life. He concealed the disciples, not because he didn't want them to realize, because obviously he eventually does make himself manifest to them, but he wants us to be able to engage, to talk, to cast our cares upon him. He is the God who laid aside all of the perfection of heaven and came into the midst of mankind, into a broken and a sinful world. He's a friend that will stick closer than a brother and he knows already what's going on in, within our lives and guess what? He wants us to tell, to share, to give him those things that are on our heart. Verse 18 says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? This to me is nothing more than a setup for Jesus to prove himself. They ask him, are you the only person who doesn't know about all of the things, all of the events that have unfolded? Guess what this means, church? All of Jerusalem is talking about what had just taken place a few days earlier. Everyone knows what had happened in Jerusalem about the crucifixion. Historians estimate that Jerusalem, around feast times, it would swell to millions of people. That Jerusalem would be abuzz with merchants and vendors and people. It, it was a requirement, as pastor has said so many times, that at Passover, every Jew would have to make their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so Jerusalem is just bursting to the seams with people. And it's at that time that Jesus was crucified. So the fact that Jesus died on a cross at the hands of the Jews and Romans is a complete historical fact. But I wanna reassure you in your faith this morning. How else do we know for sure that Jesus not just died, but he rose from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave? If the resurrection was to go on trial before the Supreme Court in the US in 50 AD, here's a little bit of the evidence. Number one, over 500 people admit to seeing Jesus after he had died 
then resurrected. When Paul wrote this, he said most of them were still alive at the time. Church, if 500 people see a man do something, he probably did it, right? Our burden of proof within our society is beyond reasonable doubt. And if there are 500 people to one event, that means that man did what he said he did. And, and if it's the son of God, you can be assured in your faith that he did what he said he did. This evidence alone would be conclusive before the Supreme Court. Next, the absence of disputed literature to the gospel. If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, there would have been mounds of people saying, this guy was crazy, right? There would have been mounds of people saying, no, he's off his rocker. He did not do those things. He did not make those claims. Jesus led tens of thousands of people. So there would have been mounds of historical documents pointing and disputing the fact of who Jesus was. But guess what? There isn't. We don't have it. Number three, the spread of the church. If it was common knowledge that Jesus wasn't who he said he was, the church would not have grown so quickly and spread so rapidly. Are you going to lay down your life for somebody that's a liar? No. The only way I'm gonna be fully bought in is if this man is for sure telling the truth. And so these people, when they believed in him and they spread so quickly, they were laying their neck upon the chopping block of, of the Roman society by supporting and embracing the teachings that this man taught. The church, it grew so rapidly, people would not have bought into a lie. Number four, the Roman leadership. Not Christians, not Judaism, but the Roman leadership, right? The Roman leadership was not absent to the events or the knowledge of the events. Paul, when making his appeal in Acts chapter 26, and I encourage you to go read that later, Acts chapter 26, with Festus and Agrippa, Paul, he pleaded with a king. Paul didn't plead with a beggar. He didn't plead with a thief. He didn't plead with a Levite, a soldier, or a politician. He pledged straight to the king and said, I would, yes, in this short time, try to convince you to become what I am, minus these chains. Paul pled with the king to believe what he believed. See, everything Jesus did was in open, and everyone knew it to be true. It was basically common knowledge. And so when the disciples asked, are you the only visitor who is clueless to what has happened in these days, it would be like you living in New York City when 9-11 took place and not having any clue that there was a terrorist attack on America. You would have to know. See, Jesus, he wasn't put away quietly. Jesus didn't raise quietly. In fact, everything he did was done publicly. The fact that Jesus died, buried, and rose again is completely undeniable. And church, we have the right to believe whatever we want, but not everything we believe might be right. We have the right to believe whatever we want, but not everything we believe might be right. Yet the disciples, they were still doubting. They were expecting their fear to bear fruit and not their faith. The disciples had begun to share all of the facts to Jesus of what had taken place. Well, this is what happened. And everything that they said was a fact. Every detail was correct. But they forgot something, his promise. They forgot God's promise. See, the author, God, he still had the pen in his hand. And as long as he has the pen in his hand, he can write another chapter. As long as he's got the pen in his hand, 
He can write another chapter. I don't care what's been spoken over you. As long as you are alive, the author still has got a pen in his hand, and he can write another chapter. See, characters... They thought the story had ended, and they are limited to their point of view within the story, but not the author. The author, he ain't limited to anything. And when the author wants to do something, guess what, baby? He can. When he wants to keep writing, he can. When he wants to flip the page, he can. When he wants to go to the next chapter, create plot twists, he can. He can do whatever he wants to do because he's got the pen in his life. Church, the author, he's not limited by details that have previously taken place in your life. He's not limited by what has been spoken, what has been said. He ain't limited by anything. And he can write continued. And when he says to be continued, he means it. He means it. I'm here to tell you today that your story, it ain't over. That as long as you are alive, he's got a pen and he is still writing. Stop dwelling on the past. Stop dwelling on the facts. Stop dwelling on those things. And start dwelling on the promises of God's word. God's truth, God's promise will always, 100% of the time, preempt man's facts, period. God's truth, God's promise will 100% of the time always preempt man's fact. So rather than expecting your doubt to bear fruit, let your faith bear fruit in your life. Jesus I'm going to hurry up. He admonishes them, and he says, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets that they had spoken. He begins to unpack the scriptures from Moses to the prophets. Church, God's truth is all sufficient and is the only weapon capable of both fighting and disarming the enemy at the same time. God's truth is the only weapon able to fight and disarm. So start quoting the word. When you get into trials and tribulations, start quoting, start standing upon the word. That's why it's so important, the psalmist would say, to hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against him. He said, verse 28, they drew near to the village which to where, the, where they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is far spent. So he stayed with them. When he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? And they rose at the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered saying, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared. And they told him what had happened and how it was known in the breaking of the bread. I love this. The disciples' joy in their, their mission, they plead with Jesus to stay with him. And when we begin to break open the truth of God's word, guess what, church? It will create an insatiable appetite within our, our lives if we will just break open the bread of his word. That's what happened with these disciples. That's why they wanted him to stay. See, the truth, it had turned their hearts of sadness into ears longing for God's promises. It literally caused their hearts to burn within them. Church, his word is our joy. His word is our our strength. His word is our life. His word is our very breath that we breathe. It caused the atmosphere to shift tremendously in their lives. It caused faith to arise and it laid the foundation for revelation. 
The truth of his word laid the foundation for revelation. If we want revelation in our life, we got to get into his word. It is the foundation upon which we will be built. And he will reveal the goodness and the glory of who he is through our life. And what happens? In the breaking of the bread, he reveals himself. Why is it important? And if the worship team would come to the stage. Why is it important we come to the Lord's house? Because in the breaking of the bread, he is revealed. In the breaking of the bread, he is revealed. Our eyes will be opened in the breaking of the bread. Church, we can't get away from the Lord's table. We must find ourselves at the Lord's table. We must break open the bread of life. We must dive into the truth of his word. It makes me so nervous when I hear people distancing themselves from the Lord's body in these last days. It is a deceitful spirit that the enemy would want to do. Listen, I hate all of the shortcomings of the church, but people, they'll distance themselves and they'll point out all of the shortcomings. Listen, I hate all of the imperfections, but the imperfections within the body are a testimony of God's grace to those outside of the body. How we put up, how we will work with one another despite the flaws, despite the imperfections. It is a testimony it is a testimony to a world. Pastor Cecil would always say, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you're going to mess it up. At that point, after he broke the bread, he revealed himself. After he broke the bread, he vanished. He dipped out. And at that point, the disciples, what are they doing? They're driven to mission. That very hour, they ran back to Jerusalem. There's only one proper response to the resurrection. Go. There's only one proper response to the resurrection. Go. The resurrection, it will transform our beliefs and demand a change of lifestyle. If his resurrection meant so much to people that they were willing to give their life for it, then we better be willing to live our life for it. And if so needed, lay it down. If his resurrection meant that much that so many people were willing to give their life, then we better be willing to live our life. And if so needed, lay it down. If you would, go ahead and stand with me this morning. Your testimony is proof of the resurrection. Your testimony is proof that he still brings dead things back to life. I know it's a little bit after 12. God loves you. He gave himself for you. He wants relationship. He wants to draw you in. He wants to change and transform your life. That's his heart. That's his desire. That's why he sent his son into this world. We can only live upon that rock if we truly believe. If we truly believe, if we are fully persuaded and convinced, he is who he said he is that his promises apply to our lives. If you're here this morning, I want everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. And you need to surrender your life to the Lord this morning. You wanna give your life to him. He's waiting, he's knocking, he's wanting, he's willing for you to come, for him to come in. If you need to surrender your life, I want you to, in just a moment, I want you to slip up your hand. He desires all that you are. He gave himself for you and loves you dearly. If that's you this morning and you need to just give your life to him, to take on 
His path for your life, rather than doing your own thing. It ain't been working out. I want you to slip up your hand this morning. Slip up your hand. Amen. Any others? Any others in the room? Amen. Amen. He loves you, and I want us to pray this prayer collectively together this morning. All of us, all those online, let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for giving me life. Thank you for coming into this world and laying down your life. I ask that you would forgive me of all of my sins. I repent of my sins and receive your salvation. Help me to live for you every day that I live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Secondly, maybe you're here today and you've been doing life and you've been struggling with doubt, fears, disbelief. The enemy wants you isolated. God wants you brought in. God wants you part of community. He wants you built up and strengthened. So I want to open up these altars this morning that if you're struggling with those things, with doubts, fears, insecurities, or faith, you're struggling with faith, maybe you believe, but you're just having trouble stepping out in faith. God wants to change and transform you. But before we do, everyone in this room, you were given a yellow card this morning. You're given a yellow card. My heart as a pastor is that we see you grow spiritually. I want to see you grow spiritually. I want to see you make a difference in the world. I want to see you live out your calling. I want everyone to take out this card real quick. Everybody grab this card in your hand. Just grab it. Take a moment. Grab it. Grab it. And if you're here this morning and you lifted up your hand for salvation, or maybe you're here and you need to take that next step into spiritual growth, maybe you've been living in your doubt and you want to live out in your faith. Amen? You want to live out faith. Maybe you just need to take that next step in serving. I want you to take this card out. Go ahead and write your name down, your phone, um, your email, and just check whatever box applies to you. Just take a moment. This is so important. And I want you to pass by this because your spiritual growth, our, our calling as a church is to come alongside of you and help equip you in your spiritual growth. And so if you need to grow spiritually, you gave your life to the Lord today. Everybody just take a moment. I want you to start writing this down. And at the end of the service, will be ushers at the doors. You can give these to them. And we want to call you and connect with you and help you grow spiritually. But I want to open up these altars just for a moment. I'm going to read the ironic blessing in just a second. But if you're struggling and you need prayer, you need somebody to come alongside you to help build you up, to help give life, give strength, I want to invite you to the altars this morning so we can take a moment and pray with you while the worship team leads us in a song. All of our prayer team and uh, pastors, if you would, just come down to the front real quick. And we're going to take a moment and pray with you. Father, we just thank you so much for what you are doing. God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you don't leave us in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our fear. But Father, you made a way. You made a way, God. You made a way. And God, we just ask that you made that way, God, we would respond in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. These altars are open. Maybe you want to take that next step in serving. Come on. Come to the front.
part of your life. You're a part of who you are. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of God. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of God and I will bless them. Just a moment, we're gonna close. If you need to stay and pray, you're more than welcome to stay in the altars and pray. Don't forget we have our heart class over in the chapel immediately following the service. Pastor wants to just share his heart um, with you about what God is doing in the church right now. We wanna invite you to the heart class right at the end and close of the service. Father, we thank you so much for what you are doing. God, we thank you for your word. God, and I pray that your word would become our very life. God, it would be what we lean upon. God, what we are built up in. God, what we are strengthened in. God, I declare that your word, it would be our everything. God, it would lead us towards mission. God, that the resurrection would transform every aspect of what we believe. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you are doing. And we declare your glory upon your people as we go forward this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.